0: Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Spring is my favorite time to start
1: a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com.
2: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices.
0: Uh, Mike Cerulli joins us now. He is the author of the tip sheet for Capital Report. And if you don't go on Capital Report, you ought to. Uh, CapitalReportCT.com is one of the best websites. It's a news aggregation website, similar to Drudge Report, but for people who want to know what's going on in our great state of Connecticut. And he joins us now. He's going to become a regular. Mike Cerulli, welcome back to the show today. Hello, hello. Good
1: morning, Lisa. Happy Election Day.
0: Yes, happy, happy Election Day. And that's, of course, the big message here on WICC all day long. And we will be reporting the results of the election uh, after 8 o'clock tonight with reporter Chris Williams. But yes, this is a very big mayoral election. Mike, any uh, any news stories you want to break about this that are not anything that likely to sway a voter one way or another?
1: I don't know if this will sway voters one way or the other, but uh, we've been seeing in the last week endorsements roll in for Mayor Gannon from top Democratic officials. Uh, That's really been the discussion between the candidates. We've seen John Gomes comment at length on what he thinks of those endorsements, and we've seen the incumbent mayor uh, tout them to voters, and it's been – It's been really that final push, the final push to get voters out to the polls.
0: You know, it is an interesting question existentially, hypothetically. Do endorsements convince anybody to do anything? You know, sometimes there's an impression or perception that they do. And, of course, it very much depends on who's doing the endorsing. But other times I think that they just make the public go ho-hum. You know, I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, I think in an election against two people who are, you know, ostensibly both Democrats coming to the issues from a Democratic angle. Of course, John Gomes on the independent party line today in the election, uh, but a registered Democrat. Uh, I think it's important for folks to see. As for some folks, it might matter uh, it, who the state's top Democrats are endorsing. Obviously, the governor a very uh, notable name, a very recognizable name among Connecticut Democrats. I would say the same about uh, Chris Murphy, Senator Blumenthal and Congressman Himes as well. So I think I think for those voters, it may make a difference. But then again, we've already heard from those voters in the primary. They spoke pretty definitively in the direction of Mayor Gannon. Uh, so maybe they've already been convinced. I, I sort of agree with you. I'm not, su- I'm not quite sure uh, what's, what all the endorsements do uh, as a whole. But I think it probably matters to some voters to see who the Democratic officials in the state are backing.
0: You're listening to Mike Cerulli, 203-333-9422. Let's talk about some other things that are going on in Hartford right now because it's February, it's a short session, Mike. And Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what bills, if any, you think are notable or noteworthy to let people know about because they may want to comment, they may want to send their comments into committee. I saw this morning from uh, CT169strong.org, which is an organization we follow closely on this show because it's about local land use control, that there is another bill for the second time Uh, that wants to have housing authorities that, let's say the Norwalk Housing Authority, be able to implement housing policy in towns and cities beyond the border of Norwalk. And this is the second time this bill is being proposed, and there's a deadline for the public to comment on this. What do you know about this bill? What are you hearing, if anything, about this bill?
1: So on housing, it's important to take a step back. As you said, they try a housing bill every single uh, legislative session. And by they, I mean a group of housing advocates who who typically comprise, as we've talked about on this show, that more more left-wing, progressive part of the Democratic Party. And typically, it's actually an interesting political um, uh, coalition because it comprises of progressive, left-wing housing advocates. And typically, those groups find some level of funding from housing developers, people who want to build more dense housing, people who want yes. to invest in more dense housing. So yes, it's actually because a very their solution,
0: because that left wing solution seems to be more rentals and developers make more money when they build multifamilies. That's more rentals, saying.
1: more dense housing, more yeah. affordable housing. I would, yes. I would add, just to be fair to the per- activists, there's also an environmental argument towards more dense housing. Uh, but this bill that you mentioned, yeah, it's, it's
0: part of. Well, the... Well, minute. there's in- also an environmental argument against it. I don't want to get into the debate right now. There's a, lot of, there is, there's there a lot of, there's a lot of, there's uh, a lot of fragile coastal areas that seem to get trampled on with multifamily, and, and there's a lot of. Um, There are a lot of conservation departments and flood and erosion control boards that are no longer really allowed to weigh in the way they should because of 830G. So I I would argue that environmentally can cut both ways.
1: It can. And and, and the the debate over 830G, of course, and to your point about this recent bill about giving housing authorities more power, it cuts to the core of the debate, which is that there are a certain segment of lawmakers in Hartford who want to essentially empower certain municipalities to – either dictate what other municipalities can do or just say, forget the municipality on municipality debate, the state's going to step in and tell you what to do. Uh, this is a, one of the most heated and contentious debates in the legislature. Every single session uh, it's backed by, again, passionate advocates on both sides. Uh, and, and, you know, as far as the feasibility of these things getting passed, it is a short session and housing doesn't really have anything to do with the core issue of what a short session is supposed to be about, which is midterm budget adjustments. Um, so I would expect to see some of these these bills die in committee, if not before then, you know, before they get to the sort of public hearing phase from the concept phase. Um, So I I would, if, if for the folks who are worried about the state coming in and potentially exercising more control over housing, I would say that time is on your side in this session. And also the agenda of this session is on your side, given that lawmakers are going to try to focus more on the core spending issues and not necessarily on housing issues.
0: And what are the core spending issues right now? Is Connecticut still very much in the black? We've had quite a quite a few good years in a row here.
1: Connecticut, Connecticut is still projecting surpluses. Those predictions change with economic conditions. Uh, but the key core uh, debate that's happening in the legislature right now is over. I know you've talked to Comptroller Scanlon about this. These things are called budget guardrails. That's what they call them in the buildings, simply just the guardrails. Uh, I, as a TV journalist, I always find it frustrating when lawmakers use that word because most people have no idea what they're specifically referring to. Mm-hmm. And what they're specifically referring to are a set of uh, a statutory limitation set back in 2017 during the budget crisis under the second term of Dan Malloy uh, where there was basically they said look the state takes in a lot of money the state spends a lot of money and a lot of the money that the state takes in is determined by outlying economic factors the stock market the capital markets folks down in southern connecticut whose whose incomes and whose corporate uh, corporate earnings are dictated by capital market conditions. So they set these kind of guardrails saying we're going to limit how much the state can spend above a certain level. We're going to limit actually how much actually goes into the general fund above a certain level. And those things are sort of going to be tied to this thing called a volatility cap, which tries to as best it can. And I hate to anthropomorphize statutes, but it tries as best it can to limit, you know, the, the state spending based on economic conditions under the theory that we want to have consistent spending because we sometimes have inconsistent revenues mm. and 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 the conditions over the last few years we 've had pretty ripping capital markets um, it 's been great for the state there have been there' have been uh, or I should, I should say it's been great for the state's rainy day fund and it's been great for Governor Lamont who, who touts uh, fiscal, these fiscal controls uh, who it hasn't been great for are a lot of the advocates who say that they're too restrictive and that's the debate playing out in Hartford right now So but we there's can always people
0: many- that want to spend more money that we, than we have Mike, That that's just, I mean you know this 2017 was a result of a historic compromise to some extent too because for the first time you had 17 Republicans and 17 Democrats in the Senate, you didn't Have ranking and chair, you had co chairs. They had to work together. And guess what? They came up with a great compromise. I'm of the belief if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's actually worked for the state of Connecticut, these guardrails. Why would we want to tamper with them?
1: And there are many, you know, the governor, Comptroller Scanlon, many in the legislature, Democrat and Republican, agree with that exact position, which is we have record surpluses. We've got a record rainy day fund. Why tamper with this? Why let politicians in Hartford basically go in and, in their words, sort of raid the piggy bank? Now, to the other side, it would be basically saying, Lisa, you know, you said, why would we spend more than we have? The advocates would say we're not they're not actually asking to do that. They're asking to spend part of or more than part of what we do have, what's sitting in our rainy day fund, the surpluses that might come in. And I use the word might because, again, those those state revenues are always a fluctuating figure uh, depending on those different sources. So uh, the three kind of big ones that I would point to are higher education, the state universities. I just heard an advertisement for Eastern on WICC yes, here. Yes, uh, One of they're, our they're going and they're, they are lobbying hard for more. money. And the reason they're lobbying hard is because uh, they say, and you know, we can get, get into the truth of what they're saying here, but they say they're getting less money uh, this year and in, the, in future years than they've gotten in the last few years. The governor will say uh, that the state's actually increased the baseline funding for these universities. The discrepancy is in the fact that not just the state university system, but also UConn, spent a lot of federal funds, COVID money. Do basically.
0: we have to give our basketball coaches tens of millions of dollars a year? Do we have to?
1: So that, just that of course is is a main is a main point in this debate. Why you know, you guys, uh, really? particularly as the the UConn the debate goes over the budgeting, you talk about the athletics deficit, you talk about some of the other superfluous or arguably superfluous costs that they have. That drives into this as well. So they're one bucket. The next bucket would be the K-12 education debate, and they butt again against the third sort of priority, which the governor has prioritized, which is early childhood education. So you have Mm -hmm. three sort of competing educational interests all fighting over what will in all likelihood, regardless of what compromise gets cut, will be a limited pool of money.
0: Well, to me, Um, and again, I'm playing devil's advocate with all this. I'm just raising things. But to me, if I'm talking about this, I would have to say that the surplus is a fallacy. A true surplus is when you don't have uh, a years-long pension debacle that you're still trying to pay back for unpaid pension liabilities. If the state... Mm -hmm was truly healthy and didn't have unpaid pension liabilities and had a surplus year after year, then you either spend the surplus for the benefit of the good people of Connecticut or you reduce taxes because you're collecting too much money. But we have billions of dollars in unpaid pension obligations. And the only way we've been able to create a virtuous cycle to reduce that is because of these surpluses. So when until and unless we have enough of a piggyback to pay the people that we've already decided we owe and we owe them money, then I don't think I think the word surplus is is disingenuous. I don't think it's even real. That's fair. I'm just using the language of the budget. office. No, no, I know you are. I'm having this conversation. That would be the conversation that I would have because it's not a real it's not real. It's just a way of saying, oh, we have a little extra this this year out of operating expenses so we can use it to put on another side of our balance sheet because we're carrying these enormous debts year after year on these unpaid pension obligations. We were one of the worst in the country just a few years ago, Mike. One of the worst.
1: We, I believe we still are among the worst in the country so there in it terms is. of public debt. So uh, there it so, is.
0: So, it's, so that's on the back of real- Connecticut taxpayers. That's what it is.
1: And, and it, it sounds simple, right? And, and, and the governor and many others will, will say, make exactly the argument you've just made, which is we need to be doing more to stabilize the state's long-term finances. Because what difference does it make, frankly? I mean, these numbers, hundred or two hundred million dollars, they sound like big numbers, but there are billions of dollars in pension debt out there that they are going to pay down using these these uh, you know surplus surplus revenues. Now, what I will say is. The advocates and many of their allies in the legislature are not hearing that argument, and in fact, they are going every single day virtually up to Capitol. There is a press conference of a different interest group, whether it's interest group for folks who are homeless, interest groups for uh, folks who are uh, attending charter and magnet schools, interest groups for – all of the all of the litany of issues that would like to see more funding and which arguably have uh, valid arguments for that, they're, they're going – and they're hammering the governor. They're hammering him not just on the policy, but they're hammering him personally, saying he's out of touch. And so even as he makes what the argument you've just made, he's getting hit from the left, from his own party, really, really hard. And and it's become almost a little cottage industry up at the Capitol to hold a couple of press conferences a week, hitting the governor on his budget proposals.
0: You know, it's fascinating so We were chatting with Mike Cerulli, and I, I, I really know that you have the finger of the pulse of Hartford. But from where I sit as a taxpayer, I want to know where are the advocates for general common sense? Where are the advocates for a centrist position? Where are the advocates for leave well enough alone? Because if we continue Continue to spend money that we shouldn't spend. Ultimately, we just become a higher tax state, which is a disincentive for seniors to stay here. It's a disincentive for young people to move here. So we we end up biting our nose to spite our face if we're not healthy economically. But there's no interest group for that, Mike, because that's just common sense. So there's no interest group for it.
1: There is no interest group for it. and I will say, the, theoretically, right, the interest group should be taken every two years and, frankly, every year when we head to the polls uh, under normal circumstances in November. I know we're talking about a February election right now. But you look at the turnout, voter turnout, you know, we'll be lucky in Bridgeport if we get one out of every five registered voters uh, to show up today. And that's a number that's pretty consistent for the state's large cities. It gets up higher when you get into the suburbs. But still, uh, you know, the interest group for what you would call the reasonable the common sense position really only makes itself heard once a year. Right. And and there's a tendency among a lot of legislators in Hartford, left, right and center, to get caught in the echo chamber of that building. You only spend your days going from committee hearings to then press conferences back to committee hearings and drive home. You're right. You you are going to get caught in this um, in an echo chamber. And again, I'm not making any judgments on the positions they're taking. Uh, I just think there's no possible way you could gauge what. The life is like out in, in everyday Connecticut if you're only in a building that's 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 um, aligned towards the political.
0: Yeah. And and that's why I'm glad we have a part time legislature. I think that's rather brilliant because it forces these legislators to come home a lot and hear at their dinner table what's going on. And that's why I hope, you know, that people are tuning in here to WICC throughout the day because that's where you're going to hear the common sense perspective. You're going to hear it from the people on talk radio. That's where you're going to hear it.
1: And to be be fair, you know, if you're Representative Greg Haddad, who represents Mansfield, Connecticut, you do hear from professors at U.S. UConn and at Eastern Connecticut who are afraid for what the budget will mean for them and for their families. Yeah. If you are uh, State Senator Gary Winfield in New Haven, you are hearing from from families who are you know struggling to make ends meet. You're, you're hearing from folks who are dealing with the homeless problem, not just in our cities, but also in our rural areas. Representative Jay Case is a great person who talks about rural homelessness, and he sees that every day. So that's his reality. He sees it every day, and, and he goes to the Capitol and he advocates for additional sp- state spending on the homeless crisis. So, you know, there, I will say that there are a lot of people who get out into the real world, see the real issues, and come to a different conclusion than you might, Lisa, than the governor might. Um, but, Absolutely. but generally speaking,
0: that, Listen, generally speaking, I can that building that, echo chamber. I, I can respect that, but I, I also think that to your point... When people represent interest groups, what, I mean, that's the point of a democracy. We have a lot of interest groups and they get somebody's ear and they know what they're doing, but there is a wider world out there. And there is a, a bigger 40,000 foot macro picture, which is generally speaking, that all of us benefit from being a state that is a healthy financial state. It, it is a state where more people feel they can come and make a living and grow. And we need our seniors to stay. And the be- Deconing of, uh, lower tax states always lures people out of Connecticut. And it's to our detriment because people who stay here in their senior years are productive. They give a tremendous amount of time and talent in terms of volunteerism. They tend to be stable, low crime, all the good things. And, uh, and sometimes they leave the state because they look at their balance sheet at the end of the year. And what I'm saying is we have to take into a big picture. Not to be ungenerous, we're already a very generous state. But I just don't want to break what isn't broken right now. I'd like us to continue to heal and recover from some very bad years. We had very bad years. Anyway, Mm -hmm. Mike Cerulli, I want to thank you for coming on. It's always wonderful to chat with you. Thank you for giving us your insight uh, as well as your information from Hartford. You are the author of Tip Sheet. If you subscribe to ctcapitalreport.com's subscription, you will get the tip sheet authored by Mike Cerulli on Mondays. And Mike will be joining us every week for this update. Thank you so much, Mike Cerulli.
1: Great to be here, Lisa. Thank you
2: for having me.